0: even though i'm just talking to the void okay (laughs) welcome back to unleash the goats where we unleash ourselves upon the star wars franchise with reckless abandon and nobody quite knows what we'll say next least of all us love that moment we definitely don't know what we're gonna say next never um i'm nat she her angela do you want to say hi hi i'm angela she her also with us is sugar as always welcome sugar
1: hi sugar she her
0: beautiful we did it today we are doing a bonus episode you're welcome everyone
2: yeah well is it a gift <laughs> it is a gift you we took time out of our precious lives to give this to them <laughs> <laughs> we did we watched
0: the ahsoka show so that you don't have to <laughs> um excellent sugar would you like to give us a brief recap
1: Yeah. All right. I have two minutes to give this recap. It's going to be great. Spoiler warning from here on out. uh, If you have not seen the Ahsoka show and you actually don't want to know what happens in it, please stop listening. Come back after you've seen it. So it starts with Ahsoka finding a map to another galaxy. Turns out she can't open it. Sucks for her. She goes to pair up with Sabine Wren from the show Star Wars Rebels to figure out how the map is going to work. Uh, We discover that Ahsoka and Sabine have some sort of history. Uh, Ahsoka started training Sabine to be a Jedi, but then abandoned her at some point after the glassing of Mandalore. Sabine is able to open the map, but it is promptly stolen by Thrawn's three lackeys, which includes Morgan Elspeth, a Nightsister who, um, if you saw Mandalorian Season 2, you'll remember her from that, and two new Dark Side Force users, Balin Skull and Shin Hati. Ahsoka and Sabine uh, proceed to track them down to a planet where there are some Nightsister ruins that they are able to use a map, To generate coordinates to a different galaxy um, that they seem to think Thrawn is in. Uh, Hera Syndulla tries to get some New Republic support for Ahsoka and Sabine. She fails. Ahsoka and Sabine, meanwhile, are trying to stop Morgan, Balin, and Shin from getting those coordinates. They also fail. Hera decides to leave on her own with some extra fighters anyway. She is too late. Sabine uh, has already chosen to go with Thrawn's lackeys into the new galaxy, while Ahsoka gets left behind to drown while she is drowning, she has a force vision about Anakin, and ultimately ends up saved by Hera, among others. Ahsoka follows Sabine to another galaxy via Purgle, um, and Hera stays behind to answer for her actions with the New Republic. Uh, Sabine finds Thrawn and Ezra in the New Galaxy on the Night Sister Homeworld, and then Ahsoka manages to find Sabine and Ezra in the New Galaxy on the Night Sister Homeworld. Hera is acquitted of all charges. Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra try to stop Thrawn from leaving. They fail. Ezra gets on Thrawn's ship and does make it back to the galaxy far, far away. But Ahsoka and Sabine get left behind in a new galaxy, and that is where we are left. All right, wow! I feel like Thank I you, just Sugar. Managed two minutes there; that was so fast.
0: You did really good. That was that, very impressive. It was, it was a tightly packed show, and I you got through everything important, which I love. Do you, who Angela? Yes, I'm making a decision. You made a decision. Would you like first let us know because this is. Pulling from a lot of sources for the story and the characters that show up, do you want to give a brief overview of like who slash what you knew going in and also your like general review of the show?
2: Yes, I would love to. So, um, I'm coming into this with all of the films, um, most of the Clone Wars, no Rebels at all. I haven't watched Rebels, I watched like five minutes of the first episode, so I know that Ezra is adorable and a thief, and that's pretty much it. I watched Mandoverse Seasons 1 and 2, but not 3, and The Book of Boba Fett, and I've read the original Thrawn trilogy, not any of the follow-up trilogies, uh, for my own reasons, mostly because I wasn't that big a fan of Thrawn, I mostly loved Mara, and I haven't seen any of Resistance, (laughs) which is mostly what, like, those are all the things that are being pulled from in general, um, and those are the things that I have seen of those things. When I watched this uh, show, my review was mostly that hmm this shoe was really 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 beautiful like it was gorgeous like they did a lot of really good work on like making a gorgeous show that felt like it was star wars like there were some places where it felt a little more modern than maybe i liked but overall i feel like they did a good job of making a show that felt like it belonged in star wars um just from vibes alone and disclaimer they did give me anakin in Clone Wars armor. So which means that any sins that they have. I do have to forgive unfortunately. For everybody else. Including Sugar. I'm so sorry. I would hate the show way more. If they hadn't given me that. But they did. And so I must forgive them. All of their sins. <coughs> um, Because he was so beautiful. And he had this beautiful armor on. And it looked great in live action. It just looked so good. And they did his hair perfectly. I'm obsessed with him actually. Anyways. Um, <laughs> my other reviews was that. They did the Night Sisters really dirty. I really don't like how they do the Night Sisters in Star Wars in general, actually, because the original Night Sisters on Dathomir were really fun and I really enjoyed them. They were a little bit like sexist and weird, but like they were a fun concept that could have been adapted well rather than being like, oh yeah, the witches are evil. Like, fuck off. They're morally gray, hot people who like capture men and take them as slaves. They're very fun originally that's right
0: up your alley it's
2: right up my alley they're super <laughs> great like one of them tries to kidnap luke because she thinks he's hot like valid support you and then the clone wars was like yeah but what if they were um super just evil witches actually what if they were just super evil witches who like worked with palpatine and i'm like this is this is fine i guess but don't name them the night sisters then because that's not what they are like rude um um so I didn't like how they did the Night sisters and I didn't like how they translated the nice sisters in the Clone Wars, So I did come around to eventually, like once they had the nice sisters turn against the Palpatine and everything was very fun. I liked how they did that. And then, you know, they just they were just like, but what if we just ignored all of that and made them super evil for no reason? But everybody was really hot. So it's fine.
0: <laughs> so the show redeemed itself with hot people. It did. It did. I'm very easily persuaded with hot people honestly you're right for that thank you thank you so much sugar would you like to give your background i think it is like there's a little bit of overlap with angela's for like what you knew going in there's some and then your I'm, I'm sure glowing rating of the show yeah oh no wait Faye, you forgot to give your rating out of five hugs oh i'm oh, my so
1: God. sorry Faye.
2: everyone <laughs> rating out of five hugs i have to give it three hugs because I only got three hugs i got three hugs in an entire show <laughs> if they had given me an ezra and Hera hug i would have gone for four out of five but they only gave me three so it only gets three
0: fair
1: um so i i'm more familiar with some of these things than Faye is just in terms of how much i've actually put myself through um <laughs> But so I've seen all of the Skywalker Saga films, episodes one through nine. I've seen all of Clone Wars, all of Rebels, all of the Mandoverse, the three seasons of Mandalorian and the first season of Book of Boba Fett. I did actually read the OG Thrawn trilogy, but I'm going to be a lot less familiar with it than Faye is and just less familiar with Legends in general. Um, and much, uh, this is where we overlap more. I haven't read anything else either from Legends or Disney EU, because much like Faye, I have zero shits to give about Thrawn. I don't care. <laughs> So I have zero interest in reading anything else about him. And I haven't seen Star Wars Resistance. Um, so I'll, I'll give my rating out of five hugs right off the bat. My rating out of five hugs was one lackluster hug out of five. Uh, hmm. Yeah, because uh,
0: that was... Higher than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I thought you were give it zero.
1: <laughs> so the only reason it isn't zero is because most of the visuals are passable and it is actually well lit which, after having rewashed <laughs> the Kenobi show, is kind of the one thing I didn't like about it. Um, so if the visuals had been less passable, it would have been zero, but I have to a- acknowledge that most of the visuals are fine. Most of the performances, uh, no, there's a few performances that are okay. Um, the actual review is that in the famous words of Cher Horowitz, it's an actual Monet. From far away, it's okay, but up close, it's a big old mess. This show stank, like leftovers from dinner last week that you didn't quite have enough of for a full meal afterwards, but you kept saying you'd combine it with something else at some point to make a full meal. So it just kept getting shoved to the back of the fridge, and by the time you remembered to pull it out and try to do something with it, it was kind of green and fuzzy now. So the visuals are okay, but I do think that at this point we've reached a place where nice-looking CGI is not a novelty, so I'm not really that impressed by it. Like, it doesn't look bad. Cool. That is kind of the minimum. Um, but uh, there's a few actors who are doing their damnedest to try to get across a good performance, but they've got absolute shit-heel material to work with. Um, Mm -hmm. The effort is appreciated, though. Other than that, got nothing to say. The show is at minimum two shows standing on top of each other in a trench coat made out of cameos and nostalgia bait, but it's probably more accurately actually three or even four shows in that trench coat desperately trying to pass themselves off as one well-written, coherent show. The relationships between the characters are so flat, I might as well be watching paint dry on a wall for how compelling it is. The pre-established characters are pretty much all wildly out of character. Any character for motivations are so missing or so weak that they may as well be missing. There's no compelling character development for any of them. The pacing's all over the place. The structure doesn't make any sense. And so much of the accepted Star Wars building got s- tossed out of the window in favor of bashing prequels Jedi by using Ahsoka and Sabine as mouthpieces. That was my review.
0: Damn. Tell us how you really feel. I know, <laughs> I know. I picked so many insults and I was like, I can't miss out on any of them. I thought it was funny. It's my turn. All right. My background coming into it, this. I have seen episodes one through eight, maybe. I did not finish the sequel trilogy and I stand by it. Yeah. Um, I have seen some of the Clone Wars like very specific episodes I have not seen Rebels I watched season one of The Mandalorian and then I got lost in season two and I never (laughs) went back to it Um, they kept pulling in things that I didn't understand and so I stopped watching it Um, I don't know who Thrawn is I still don't (laughs) 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 after watching the entirety of this So I have not read any Legends, any Disney EU. I don't know what Star Wars Resistance is. I don't know what they're pulling from. I watched all of this show. If we had not been planning on recording this episode, I would have given up after episode one. Like, the only reason that I got through it, and I will say, episode one was the worst episode. It really got better later on. But... I would have given up so easily. The things that I liked. I liked how pretty all the actors were. I'm with Faye. Like, that works for me. I'm like, oh, I'm just looking at your cute face. I don't care what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, I liked all of the creatures that showed up. I liked Sabine's little space cat. I was really upset when she did not seem to be concerned about <laughs> said cat while she was out and about. I really liked the star whales, the purgles. Big fan. I liked the aliens. I liked the Noti and the Howlers, specifically. Very big fan. Large dog, I'm sold. Um, I liked all of the droids. I liked the thing that I thought was the Darksaber, and it's not. Whatever. I did not care about the plot. I was not given context for any of these characters that are very important. I was left with a lot of questions. Um... I am a casual fan. This show was not for me. I was under the impression that it was going to be accessible to casual fans. And that was a dirty, filthy lie. It was not. It was not accessible. I was told this show was going
1: to be for Rebels fans. And this was also a lie.
0: (laughs) (sighs) We were all let down. Yeah. And now we get to talk about the specific reasons why. And I'm really excited. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. First, we're going to talk about visuals. Sugar, you said that this was the one thing that worked for you. I did.
1: I uh, I mentioned. I think that it was well lit. I do think that that is true. I think that is something that is a problem across media right now. Is that things for some reason are really weird in terms of how hard they are to see in dark scenes. Um, mm-hmm. I do think that was something that this show deftly avoided, which is to be commended. I think yeah, the costumes they didn't were gender. How many yeah, dark scenes? Uh, I mean, the ending is technically at night, but
2: is it? Hmm.
1: Yeah, that that whole yeah, section where like is. Ahsoka and Sabine see the ghost, like that's at night.
2: Oh, oh, you're right. The very, very end scene. You're you're correct.
1: Yeah, and there's scenes where they're in space, but they're usually inside while they're in space, so that kind of doesn't count. Mm-hmm.
0: You would think she does a lot of standing on the thing outside in space, anyway.
1: She does, but uh, I think there's, like, a little light inside of her helmet kind of, hi- you know, lighting up her face. Yeah, but we can uh, see her. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, yes, part of the reason they avoided this was the fact that they had very few scenes actually at night or in the dark. Um, but regardless of how it happened, I did appreciate that I did not have to, like, struggle to see the characters at any point in this show. Um, oops, that was the wrong outline. one. Um, I do think the costumes <laughs> are generally well done. I don't think there's anything that felt particularly, like, unique or interesting or, like, told me anything about the characters, but they were, like, perfectly fine passable costumes. Um,
2: mm-hmm. I loved Ahsoka's little space outfit.
1: Ahsoka's little- I will say that I did appreciate that she got a legitimate helmet of some kind. With, like, it was it, like so it, That was awesome! It,
2: I love her little helmet.
1: I feel like every time Ahsoka's been in space in the animations, like- she's gotten a mask, like an oxygen mask, and that is about all <laughs> they were able to figure out for her. So I did appreciate that they put in the effort to figure out what a spacesuit for a Togruta might look like.
2: It was so fun. I really liked the little the, the little, the little spacesuit. It was so cute.
1: Yeah. So I think, like, the costumes are all fine. I just don't think there's any, like, unique interesting usage of them that tells us something deeper about the characters. Um, but, uh, aside from that, I think they were passably nice
0: looking angela do you have thoughts on the costumes yeah um
2: okay the one thing that i think that they did interesting with the costumes was mostly i feel like they just updated older costumes like that was like mostly what they did for the costumes the unique costumes that they did have were mostly for um baylon and shin and i feel like they were trying to get across this like anti-paladin vibe with them. Like, they have, like, very, like, classic European-looking armor pieces
1: on um, their Oh, yeah, they look so European knight. They
2: look very else. European knights, which is a very interesting contrast with, like, the Buddhist monk traditional Jedi thing. So, like, it was an interesting twist on only that alongside the, like, history of that inside the fandom of, like, Jedi originally being seen as knights versus them being reinterpreted as Buddhist monks when the prequels came out. So, like... That was too. To be fair, they were always
1: Buddhist monks. People just no. didn't realize they were Buddhist monks. But yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. But like within the fandom, like that realization and that switch going over and like that being recontextualized within. But It's not like Feloni isn't unaware of that. Like he's been in the fandom for just as long as anybody else, and so like, he knows that that transition happened. And so he ch- the fact that he chose to do that with that context is an interesting meta level to their costumes, which I thought was fun.
1: It's a very telling choice on how Filoni views the Jedi, but we'll get there. Well, they're not
2: technically Jedi. <laughs> they are, like... I mean, the guy he called the other Jedi on Jedi, but technically he is the one who is a Bokan Jedi because he is the, like, pretender person who is, like, manipulating and twisting the beliefs t- into his own viewpoint, right? So, like, that he used the fandom's, like, version of the ultimate Jedi. I'm quoting that air quotes right now ultimate jedi with this guy who's like basically a twisted version of the jedi who's not a sith and he used that for him is an interesting level there that like well i think he is not being very jedi positive at all i don't think he is trying to be jedi critical if that makes sense like he is coming across very jedi critical and he is not as positive as I wish he was, but it is an interesting level that makes me think that he thinks he's Jedi positive, which is a very fun detail.
1: Oh, for sure. I I, I will get into that later, too. But I do think that Filoni falls into the group of people who would consider themselves Jedi critical, but not anti-Jedi. Yes. And it being Jedi critical is just what the, you know, point of the story is. Um, uh, the one costume we will, thing... We I,
0: will come back which to Which we'll that. come back
1: to, but... <laughs> the one thing I think I will point out that I didn't like within the costumes were the contacts. Specifically on Ahsoka, Ezra, and Hera. Um, because you can tell these contacts are trying to somehow simulate the animated eyes on normal people.
2: Yeah, it was weird. Like, why don't they just go for a regular color? and Like, come on.
1: And art or, like, just let the damn actors use their brown eyes. Like, it was kind of notable that all of them had brown... The actors had brown eyes. Um, and they ended up with these ugly-ass... <laughs> brightly colored contacts instead like come on just let them have brown eyes
0: the thing that was wild to me was that like angela pointed this out to me i think right before the final episode and i like simply hadn't noticed but then ezra showed up and i super noticed and i think what hit it for me is that like because hera and ahsoka are both non-humans i was like yeah you have weird fucking eyes (laughs) okay and then ezra showed up and i was like Listen, you (laughs) are beautiful,
1: but the eyes are not
0: working for me. (laughs) He really is. Uh, Yeah,
1: so that was something that I will point out that I think was maybe not done so well within the the costuming. And I have to assume that that's not the costumer's fault. That probably was a thing that came from on high. Um, I mean, I
2: differentiate a little bit because I personally think that context... Uh, I am pro changing eye color with contacts when you can to, like, match up with the character. Like, I think it's fun. I don't really see a reason not to. But I wish that they were just done well. Like, it's not that hard to get contacts that, like, are decent and look nice. Like, just changing eye color, I feel like it's, like, such a small thing. And it adds a lot of continuity that when they don't do it, it bothers me. But I prefer that they didn't do it than to do it badly, you know?
1: Yeah. I can see that. I also think that Star Wars has a lack of brown eyes and it's starting to become a trend.
2: I mean, you have Padme and, like, and Leia and that's it.
1: Yeah. Well, and like, you know, it's not like they haven't done this before, right? Like, Saw Guerrero was originally like bright green eyes, but they just let Forrest Whitaker use his normal brown eyes in Rogue One. Oh,
2: no, wait. We also have Rey and crap, what's her name? I'm going to be so embarrassed when I remember her name nope fuck it's gonna come back to me in like five minutes I'm gonna be so mad
0: Shmee! what any the details? Fuck? <laughs> Okay. did you forget Shmee's? No, name I didn't. <laughs> he's gonna cut this
1: out because she's the editor but I feel like this should get <laughs> left in because it was really funny no
2: it's gonna get left in because I can't bear to take it out because it is very funny but I'm
1: so embarrassed episode one Shmee is my favorite so character
2: I'm so sorry everyone I'm a failure Editor Angela here to remind past Angela that Ray has hazel eyes, not brown eyes. You know, just in case she forgot.
0: Angela, Angela, tell me about the Gandalf cloak. The Gandalf cloak is very important because
2: it's very funny. You guys ready for this? Why the fuck did she have that on her ship? Did she just, (laughs) like, order a white set of armor ready to go, like, ages ago? And was just like, yeah, someday I might need this. Like, girl, you have white leather gloves just sitting on your ship in case you have, like a force vision that really changes you what what are you doing (laughs) like in world it's very cute that she has a cute little white outfit like i love the outfit it's very adorable i like the look it's fun for her whatever like it's cool but like impractically
0: practically (laughs) (laughs) where did it come from where the fuck did it come from (laughs) (laughs) i was upset at the Consistency that she had the cloak on because I wanted to see her shoulders more. She has, and I felt like I was robbed. Good
2: shoulders, like Rosario Dawson is like a mildly problematic person, or maybe she's may majorly problematic. I can't keep. I was going to
1: say it might be more than mildly.
2: The one thing she has going for her is that she's really, really, really hot. Disclaimer, yeah. disclaimer. I do not actually in real life forgive people just because they're hot. In fiction,
0: it's fine. <laughs> in fiction, oh, you're hot. Okay, you can be evil. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, Um, I want a really quick touch on the fight choreography. I liked it. I thought it was cool. This, it, Someone explained this to me. I don't remember which one of you it was. Apparently it's an Inquisitor that shows up with the red lightsaber. Yes. Uh, well, kind of. Yes.
1: But yes, that's the implication is that he was an Inquisitor at least. He's supposed to look okay. like one.
0: Whoever, whoever that dude was, I referred to him as the Black Knight in my notes because he had a very knight looking helmet going on. Um, his lightsaber was cool as fuck. I liked the little helicopter thing. Again, I came into this with very little context. This was an entirely new lightsaber for me. Um, So that was very cool. I will say, I think they leaned too hard on the lightsaber battles because after a while, I was like, again? We're doing this again? Can we have a different kind of battle? I feel like lightsaber battles need to be thematic in order
2: to be meaningful. If you have too many then they start to lose their luster a little bit. And I feel like too many lightsaber battles in this show, while all of them were really beautiful, not enough of them were showing us how characters were growing, how characters were fighting, how characters were disagreeing. Like, we have the Shin and Sabine lightsaber battle, which comes to nothing. Like, Shin just runs away after soak off Yeah, her, like, there's her no like... payoff to this. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. so we have, like, interesting things that are set up initially in battles that never pay off. Like, they don't they don't do enough with them in order for them to actually, like, matter.
1: Yeah, I, I will come in as a, the different, the devil's advocate here and say, I don't think they were that good. Um, I think they were slow as shit. Yeah. Um, just, in, and I like, you know, I will say this as a prequels fan, and like that is my peak of lightsaber <laughs> battles is the way they were utilized in the prequels and the style that we got in the prequels, which, well yes, yeah, super unrealistic was really cool and fun and dynamic to watch. And I think there was not enough of that. And so it's like, you get this really weird, grounded, realistic version of it. But like, these are supposed to be mystical heroes with magic powers. And all we're getting is this weird, realistic, grounded version of it. And it would have been interesting, too, to use like, a more grounded version for Sabine, who can't touch the Force, versus Ahsoka or Balin or Shin, who do have access to it and can really showcase the difference between what they can do and what she can't and that wasn't there i do think that they probably just didn't train the actors well enough you can tell with hayden in particular because hayden obviously has you know done lightsaber battles multiple times now and we know exactly how fast that asshole can go like
2: and this was fast
1: he can go so fast and like nothing he was doing in this show was anywhere near the level that we know he can do and i feel like he, they had to dumb him down a little bit to match up presu- presumably mostly to rosario because that's usually who he's fighting in this
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is an interesting point because actually while i was watching his fight with ahsoka the entire time i was like yeah ahsoka isn't beating him he is letting her win like there was a no point where i thought that they were evenly matched which should not have been my thought right and ahsoka at this point in her life is like basically the peak of her powers like she has been fighting lightsabers for a long time she's been regularly fighting other lightsaber people like this is a regular regular thing for her and yet the fight between her and balon which should arguably feel like another version of the anakin versus dooku fight doesn't feel anywhere close to that level even though the characters themselves supposedly are around the same level
1: but i really want to hit on ezra because they did this whole <laughs> stupid stupid thing with ezra where they were like oh he just doesn't use a lightsaber now until he did for the while there, they were like, he doesn't use a lightsaber now. He's just fighting using the force. And then all he does is a little bit of real basic hand to hand. And like, he pushes people like once or twice, which is the most anticlimactic, boring thing I have ever seen in my life. Like it was perfectly fine hand to hand, but it was the most unsatisfying use of force fighting I've ever seen. And a lot of people were comparing it to the the scene from 2003 Clone Wars where Mace like obliterates an entire battalion of droids without having access to a lightsaber. And I was like, yeah, that's what I wanted. That's what it should have looked like.
2: Like, it should have felt like uh, Chirut's fight scenes in Rogue One, but with the Force, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's how it should have felt, and it didn't.
1: Yeah. The, just this absolute level of competence and like you are not getting anywhere near this guy also it's really stupid that at some point within that thing he picks up a blaster even though he refused That's a blaster wild. earlier like <laughs> you know there's yeah and there's a moment in the uh, Anakin fight scene with Ahsoka where like you know he they put in uh, Hayden's little spinny trick but it was so awkwardly choreographed into the fight that he has to sort of pa- he, like, he does the spinny trick and then pauses afterwards and i feel like every other time i've seen him do that it's been smooth like smoothly incorporated into the choreography and you know it transitions from the spinny trick into like a strike of some kind and that didn't happen here and so it just felt thrown in really really badly and awkwardly so i'm not sure i feel like the choreography was all that good either i just wasn't compelled or excited
0: like by any of it hard cut (laughs)
1: Uh, hard, cut. That is hard cut r2d2 scream
0: <laughs> r2d2 sounds let's start with the casting problems oh there's so many casting
2: problems are. Like, why did they have to cast an adorable little jewish man who i adore from house he's one of my favorite characters on house and then they were like, yeah, but what if this clearly Jewish man played a greedy capitalist who sold people out for money? Yeah, what if
0: we were super anti-Semitic? That would be cool, right? No, it wouldn't. We hate anti-Semitism.
2: Disclaimer, we're all super white, and, like, none of us have any, like, levels to speak on this, but, like, as a very white person, I was very uncomfortable. It was very weird.
1: It was an unfortunate choice to make, as are the rest of these, um, uh- the other one that I pointed out here was that all of the New Republic senators are, that are played by people of color, which includes Yono as well as a couple of other uh, brown, look like brown uh, actors, mm. are portrayed as either inept or assholes, depending on which character it is. And the only good senators or good politicians are the two white women. Um, and this is where I will also point out that the person that they are actively antagonizing in all of these scenes is Hera. Uh, who is also played by a white woman. I saw a couple people pointing out that, like, obviously they are also refusing to help Sabine and Ahsoka, who are played by people of color or are people of color. Um, And Tiva is also there um, on Hera's side. But, like, none of them are in any active conversations with these people, uh, with the senators or, you know, getting demoted. They're not in any trouble or anything. And so it it does feel kind of very pointed at Hera, and Hera is played by a white woman. Mm -hmm. So I do think that there is something to be mentioned there. And as Faye mentioned, we are all super white, so we're not really going to delve into it, but it was something I saw people mentioning as uncomfortable.
2: I will say that Hera, well, she is played by a woman. She is a alien and aliens are clearly a minority in most of the society that we see in star Wars. So well, that is a meta thing. Cause we're talking about casting right now. It is a meta thing that she is a white woman who is like the one that they are all being antagonistic to her. in universe. She is a minority, which is kind of awkward because they never actually talk about that in Star Wars. They never like bring up the fact that aliens are essentially always a minority, pretty much ever. But that that was a thing I just wanted to bring up.
1: Yeah, it doesn't really work as like representation for the people of color who are watching this necessarily. No, it though. doesn't. So, and on a representation standpoint, they are getting all of the inept assholes and. Hera kind of does get to count in the white people representation camp here even if in universe she might count as a a minority but like you said it never really they never get into that so it's not
2: yeah they're just like uh, yeah all the minority people are gonna like be enslaved and sex workers and like all these other awful things but are we gonna address any of that in universe no why would we do that
1: and this is where we hit sabine poor poor darling sabine Um, We're going to be very careful about this one, um, because at no point are we trying to criticize Sabine as an Asian character. She very much is an Asian character. She is the first main Jedi character to be visibly Asian. So she's not an alien. She's not an an Asian actress covered up in so much makeup you can't tell. Um, uh, And so there is a lot of importance on her now, to the Asian fans, given all of the, you know, things that the Jedi as a cultural group have aesthetically and culturally uh, from actual real life Asian cultures, and uh, there have been a couple of Asian Jedi, I believe, in like comics or like in the background, but Sh- Sabine is now the first main Jedi Asian character. Um, so we cannot understate the importance of that. However, um. She, Sabine in the animation I have seen, is coded as being mixed South Asian and East Asian. Uh, Both of her parents within the animation are designed to be non-white, and all three of the characters, Sabine and her two parents, are voiced by Asian actors. Sabine and her mother are voiced by darker-skinned South Asian actors. Uh, Sabine specifically is voiced by an Indian actress, while the father is voiced by a Japanese actor. Um, But Natasha Lou Bordizo is half-white which means that the South Asian aspect of Sabine has been completely eliminated, and I have seen that considered a whitewashing of Sabine. Um, so while I understand the importance of Sabine and why people were so upset about the backlash that has c- uh, come for Sabine as uh, as a Jedi, um, I do think that there is also some criticism we can level at the casting of Natasha Lou Bortizo as this particular character, uh, even though there is, you know, this is not Natasha's fault, obviously, right. um, and she obviously is still an Asian actress, and so Sabine does still have Asian representation, but it is only East Asian representation, and you know, none of the Southeast South Asian representation. And that was what we wanted to mention and put out there. We're not necessarily going to get into it, but that is things that I noted, other people discussing that I thought were important to
0: uh, hit right. On. And I think, again, like, we're not going to speak to it, not because it's not important, but because this is not our place to speak to it. Like,
1: yeah, there are a lot of other people who have talked about it who are way better.
0: (laughs) Right. Like, please listen to the people who actually know what they're talking about. They are out there. They are talking about it.
1: Yeah. Please listen to the Jewish and the Asian fans of Star Wars. There are multiple camps um, on the Sabine issue that I have seen. So you know, it, it, these are issues that we're putting out there, not that we are necessarily going to discuss. Great. So, um, does anyone else have things they want to talk about for performances uh, of the respected characters on this show? Yes, I do. I'm sure you do. Go I ahead, babe.
2: I have so many thoughts. Are you ready? Yes. Okay, my main thought. Okay, Ahsoka. <laughs> Ahsoka, I love Rosario Dawson's performance as Ahsoka. I think she's very fun. I think she does a good job of translating the animated character to live action i really 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 liked her in mandalorian but i feel like in this particular show i feel like building up to the vision she needed to be more emotional she needed to have more rage she needed to be more confused and then having that contrast with the peace and like the centering that she felt after she finally like dealt with her shit with anakin whether or not we feel like she dealt with her shit super well, or they did that scene super well. Like that was clearly the intent, right? Like she has finally dealt with this issue with Anakin in this vision. So, like, having that contrast between, like, having her be at peace afterwards and being super emotional beforehand, because, like, she's done with a lot of things, would have been very good. And instead, they chose to just not give her that rage, which I felt was a mistake. I feel like they missed out on an opportunity there to have this really interesting emotional journey for her. Like, they tried a little bit. There was, like, little bits of it here and there, but nothing really... That stuck for me personally.
0: Yeah, it felt like in the beginning to me, she felt kind of cold and distant. And then the transition to like post vision with Anakin was like, oh, just like at peace and chill. And I'm like, this doesn't feel like a different performance to me. Like. It doesn't. It felt like you were trying to get something to pay off and you didn't. And it's possible that it's because like, I don't know Ahsoka from Clone Wars. And I don't know, it's disappointing to have all these characters that, like, I liked in this show, but because I don't have the context for them, and I wasn't given any context for them, I'm like, I can only like you so much.
1: Most of my things are just, I don't think anyone performed well. I think Ahsoka, Sabine, Hera, they're all way too flat. I don't think any of them are particularly representative of the characters we saw in the animation. Um, Ahsoka in Clone Wars is so much more emotional than anything Rosario put across, like, you know this. This Ahsoka feels very Obi Wan in some ways, but like Obi Wan specifically from like A New Hope or from from Rebels, where she's just this kind of wise old sage. Which like, there's nothing wrong with the wise old sage, but the wise old sage is a side character in someone else's story. Yeah, and not the hero of their own. Yeah, she's not the hero of her own story. She is not allowed to be this. You know, um, flat. <laughs> and chill in, as the hero of her own story. Um, like, I'm sorry, but she's not. She you, you cannot make her this flat and have her have a compelling, understandable, coherent character arc when she's not doing anything. She's not allowed to be a wise sage until the end of it. And that's just how it should have been. And unfortunately, Rosario just didn't get that across. And this could be uh, a fault of the direction as much as rosario's performance because it's not like we haven't seen rosario give emotional performances in other thing uh things that she's done
2: yeah i agree like every single one of these actors that we're talking about i've seen in other things and all of them have given fantastic performances in other things like mary elizabeth winstead is phenomenal in birds of price. she gives a beautiful performance like she's very she has the capability to deliver a lot of rage she's very good at it mm-hmm. and the fact that none of these actors delivered those anywhere near the level of performance in this show makes me think it was a directorial decision which is a weird choice <laughs> that's a weird choice for them to do like i don't know why they did it's that it's so
1: strange it is so weird and it is so uncompelling and so bad Hera has like none of the heart like i don't want her to have rage Hera should not have rage Hera should be warm She should be motherly. She is supposed to be snarky, but, like, she doesn't need to be full of rage. No,
2: but, like, they Um, had moments where, like, she was supposed to be really angry about, like, a situation, and I'm like, I'm not getting that at all. Like, yeah, I know you can act angry, and you're not doing that. Yeah, you
0: seem annoyed, (laughs) but that's it. Mildly inconvenience, maybe? (laughs)
1: Which, like, would make sense for Hera in the sense that in most of those scenes that you're talking about, she's going up against, you know, superior officers or leadership or whatever. And so it makes more sense that Hera might pull back there. But I think we just didn't get enough of anything else outside of that for Hera. Like, her relationships with everybody were so flat. The same is true for Ahsoka and Sabine's relationships. They're just, there's nothing there to make you connect to these poor characters. And I don't feel like the three main characters who are coming in from... Uh, Rebels and Ahsoka from Clone Wars as well feel particularly, you know, reminiscent of the characters that they have been prior to this. Ezra, to transition into that, I think is one of the few times that we did get a better performance. I will say the writing of him is a little off, but we're talking about performance. And I think Iman Isfandi did a really, really wonderful job at getting across uh, uh, Ezra. And I think Nat has some thoughts that she would like to share about Ezra too.
0: Yeah, so I, I mean, we're going to get into this later too but this whole show kind of hinged on oh we're like we care about Ezra so much and I'm like okay but who the fuck is Ezra why should I care about Ezra and they never answered that and then I met him and I was like actually I love you I would also go across a galaxy to find you because he was he had a very like warm like friendly vibe he was very loyal he was like yeah these are my dudes who took me in like the little are they called noti i'm pretty sure
1: noti i think is what, what i saw in the subtitles anyway
0: yes i i loved them i love anytime people are like oh i'm friends with these aliens that are just little guys i'm like oh my god they're just little guys <laughs> like i love them <laughs> so ezra like sh- shockingly because i didn't like he was one of the, he felt like a plot point and not a character. And then I met him and I was like, I love you. I don't know why the other characters love you. Because I wasn't given any context for these characters or your relationship with them.
1: I also don't think they, they played up the emotion that should be between these characters. I know you haven't seen Rebels, but that might have helped a little. Like, And this is where the lackluster hug came from in the rating earlier. was like, Sabine and Ezra's reunion? like, Was that the most emotionless reunion I have ever seen in my life? Oh, my God. Speaking
2: like. of reunions, very, very quickly, because we're on the topic of hugs. But the scene where Ahsoka and Ezra hug, very sweet, very adorable. Sabine thought Ahsoka was fucking dead. She thought she was dead. And she mm-hmm. sees her and we don't even get a hug. We don't even get a hug between them. They're just like, I thought you were dead. Oh, well, I guess I'm fine, clearly. Like, hello? She thought you were dead. You're her master. <laughs> you sh- That's your master. Go hug her. What the fuck is wrong with you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I could understand a little bit of distance there, just in the sense that she doesn't know how angry Ahsoka may or may not be at her in that moment, and she's waiting to get information, but it didn't feel like there was this, like, I would love to hug you right now, I'm so glad you're alive, but I don't know how mad you are at me right now, um, kind of feeling. It was just so flat.
2: I feel like you could still get that across with her, like, crashing into her with a hug, and then pulling back immediately and being like, oh no, are you okay? Like... I'm sorry, and like apologizing immediately. Like there's lots of ways to get across that like I'm uncomfortable with our relationship right now, but I'm really happy to see you're alive. And they yeah, just decided like, that passively standing ten it. feet away is like the best way to do that.
1: Not to mention Ahsoka and Ezra like don't have any emotion in their reunion either. And like
2: yeah, but at least a- I get a es- hug.
1: Yeah, but it is also like one of the most emotionless hugs I've ever seen. Like
2: <laughs> Yeah, it's so awkward.
1: Like, the last time Ezra saw Ahsoka, she was running through the world between worlds, and he doesn't even know if she made it out by the time he has to fuck off on the purgles. So, like, this is the first time he is seeing her since that. He knows she's alive at this point, presumably, because he knows that she took on Sabine, and Sabine has not mentioned that Ahsoka might have died. But, um, so, like, Ezra does not have that context yet, and he hasn't seen her since. And the same is true of Ahsoka. Like, Ahsoka came out presumably spent two years doing who-the-fuck-knows-what and then finds out that Ezra died. You know, or disappeared, you know. And so, like, there's no emotion to any of these reuni- reunions, and it
0: sucks. I really liked Balin. I really liked Shin. They were good buddies. I thought they did a good job. I was way more interested in the two of them and what their motivations were than any of our like main characters. Um, I didn't like Thrawn. He was ugly. <laughs> But thank God for that. (laughs) Natalie,
2: Natalie, can I explain to you something? Are you ready? (laughs) Okay. Okay. The the Thrawn fandom is quite large Mm -hmm. and quite obsessed with Thrawn. And the amount of Thrawn fanfic, sexy Thrawn fanfic that there is, is truly an interesting thing that I personally (laughs) find to be heinous. Thank fucking God he's not hot in this show. Do you know what I would have had to put up with if he had been hot in this show? He's already hot in all the fan art and shit. If he was also hot in the show, oh my God. I was going to say, he
1: was more attractive in Rebels too.
2: Oh, and thank goodness they didn't make him hot. Oh, I'm so glad. Like, don't also, get me wrong, Lars Mickelson, lovely man. I'm sure he's a charming yes. person.
0: But, This is not God. me... To be clear, this is not me throwing shade at his actor. It's just like you introduce this character, and I'm supposed to be afraid of him, and then he's just a slimy grease ball, and I'm like, I don't know why I should be afraid of you. You just seem like a really cocky asshole, and nothing in his performance made me think otherwise. And the the visual vibe that he had didn't know he was going to be blue, and then he was, and I was like, <laughs> interesting. Okay. <laughs> I guess this it's so is Thrawn. Funny that you didn't
2: know he was blue. Like I it makes sense. It's just like a fact <laughs> of my life that Thrawn is blue for like yeah. most of my life. And the fact that you were like, Yeah, why is he blue? And I was like, why wouldn't he be blue? It just never occurred to me that you wouldn't know. It's so funny. This
1: also revealed to me that Nat definitely did not watch a single trailer for this show before <laughs> watching the show. <laughs> no, I they definitely they definitely do show Thrawn and his face on, on the trailers. But um
0: I'm sure that I've seen Thrawn in, like, on Tumblr, and I was just like, who the fuck is this blue person? <laughs> yeah, and would not
1: have necessarily known to connect it to the name. Yeah. What I will say about this, because we are on the topic of body image, is uh, apparently there were a lot of fans making some not-so-kind comments about both Lars Mikkelsen and Hayden Christensen being thicker around the torso than their animated counterparts. And oh my god. Um, I-, I want to point out that this is a terrible thing to say about these actors. It is something that we know some of the others have also experienced in particular. We know Morrison, uh Temur Morrison experienced it when he came back as Boba Fett. Um, and this is not an okay thing to do ever. Obviously everyone is allowed to think that, you know, this actor is attractive or not attractive, but I do want to put out there that I, I am aware that this was a thing that got bandied about um, and that this is not supported by Unleash the Goats.
0: Mm-hmm, not at um, all. Unleash the Goats is very much on the brand of some thoughts are inside thoughts. And and you you should stay inside. And you stay inside. And
1: some thoughts maybe could use a second thought. Or or (laughs) a third.
2: Because first of all, listen, Hayden Christensen is older now. Shockingly, I know. Super weird that he's older now.
1: Also, they're comparing him to an animation. Yeah. Not even to who he used to look like, but the animation of him, which like... Yes, they're all stick thin. They're animated. That's how it works.
2: But he's mm-hmm. also hot as fuck. He is a bad bitch. He showed up in that show and he was like, yes, I will get one of those compelling performances in this entire show for one episode and then show up randomly because everybody he's here to see me and I know it. Like, he was awesome. He was so good. I love him so much. and I'm, I hope he got paid bank to be in this because he deserves it.
1: Yeah, the the thing I wanted to hit on for both Hayden and Lars, um, as the only two actors on this show who actually have history with their characters, um, obviously, you know, we know that what's-her-face Rosario has played Ahsoka in the Mandaverse a few times before this, but it's been very minimal and there's no time, you know, for her to really connect to this character in the same way that Hayden does with Anakin or that Lars has with Thrawn. Um, And I feel like you can really tell the difference Mm -hmm. (laughs) between the way Lars and Hayden approached their respective characters in comparison to how um, uh, Natasha and Iman and Mary Elizabeth and Rosario and even Ariana Greenblatt as the younger version of Ahsoka all approached their characters because it it did not feel like this wasn't Thrawn, right? Like in the sense that like it, it very much still sounds like him because guess what? That's the voice actor. You know, like, he understands exactly what Thrawn should look and sound like. Hayden knows exactly what Anakin should look and sound like. So even if they're given wonky material, you still get the right vibe off of them.
2: I do wonder if some of that has to do with the, like, spoiler culture that Disney has been perpetuating for a while now. And perhaps the reason that some of these actors don't feel like they're connecting with their characters is because they were told not to. Because they're specifically told, hey, here's your paper and your script, and, like, you only know these scenes, and you don't know the larger content of the show— I wouldn't bother watching any of the other material because like, it doesn't matter. Like I, we don't know that that's the case, but given what we have seen with the Marvel actors and like other interviews of people who are working for Disney, that seems very likely, which is sad. Yeah.
1: There might be some of that in there. I think I was going more for just, they haven't had the time with these characters that Hayden and Lars have had with their respective characters. And you can feel that difference, but yeah, it's possible that there's also just this feeling of like, We don't want you to look at someone else's performance. We want you to come up with your own performance, which like fair, like it should feel, you know, Rosario should not feel like she has to just recreate Ashley Eckstein's performance and Natasha Lubardizo does not have to do Tia Sarkar's so on and so forth. But like, they should still feel like the same character. (laughs) Like, you know, it can be Rosario's Ahsoka, but it should still feel like Ahsoka from thing to thing. We're starting with themes and messages.
2: What is the central theme of the show? What do you think that Filoni was trying to say
1: with this show? I don't know. Do we think Filoni knew?
0: Mm, That's a good point. That's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) It really, it it fell all over the place. I didn't know what was happening. Yeah.
1: And this kind of goes back to what I was saying in my review, that this feels like, at minimum, two shows standing on top of each other in a trench coat but probably more accurately at least three or four. And so these shows all would have had separate main characters and separate goals that the characters had to go towards, and all of them are kind of vying for attention here. And so I'm not sure there is a central theme, because there is kind of at least two or three central themes, depending on which story you're looking at.
2: Yeah, because I'm still not really sure what he's going for with Thrawn like obviously he wants Thrawn to be like a central villain and like go forward with that and do like a second season with him being a central villain i will probably try to pull in like cgi luke and do a rip off of there to the empire
1: whatever that's not the point but do we think that Thrawn is going to be dealt with in a second season of Ahsoka, though? Or is it going to end up in, like, Mando season four? Oh my
2: god, if they bring me- poor, poor Din Djarin into this
1: bullshit, I'm going to be so mad. He- <laughs> we know he's getting drawn into this bullshit. The whole heir to the Empire thing is happening. <laughs> but
2: what if he wasn't? But what if he just got to stay home alone with his baby and never left?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that's not that how that's going to work. They're Ugh. Avengers assembling this one. The Mandaverse is the MCU of Star Wars.
2: But it felt like there was, like, there was, like, a trust the Force major theme going on there. Because, like, both Balon and Ahsoka very much trusted the Force. And that's how they both ended up staying on that planet and seemed happy to be
1: staying on that planet.
2: And there seems to be something very important on that planet that we're going to find out more about in Season 2. So, like...
1: Yeah, that's what I think a season two of Ahsoka is focusing on, and it has nothing to do with Ron. Yeah,
2: so like, if there is a main theme for this show, I feel like Trust the Force is probably
0: the
1: best one. The closest you might it be yeah It felt
0: like they were um, going for that, and it didn't land for me.
1: That might be, because the attachment bullshit was wrong. Do you want to jump to that? We can, if you want, or we can wait.
2: No, jump for it. We're
0: here. We're here. Let's do it. It's not even a jump. Lay it on us, sugar.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So uh, the attachment conversation is one that I'm sure a lot of people have touched on before very, very briefly. Uh, Attachment within Star Wars is based on the Buddhist concept of attachment, which is pretty strictly defined as something very toxic an unwillingness to let go, to kind of grasp onto uh, people, places, things, ideas, um, and kind of resist any change to that uh, in a very unhealthy way. Um, but within a more Western concept, attachment usually lands is just love, kind of very basically. It's not super deep. It's just kind of like, I happen to have an attachment to that person, just kind of means I might have feelings for that person of a positive nature. Um and floney has sometimes repre- like understood this but i think we ended up landing in a place in this show where they felt very pro attachment um and it's this weird mix of like actually representing attachment as a bad thing sometimes by having the bad guys like asking sabine to hand over the map and she does it but then also like Sabine gets completely exonerated for this choice at the end. And so then actually, it's like, actually, she was totally right. Because guess what? The Force's will was that this happens anyway. That's really not how Lucas kind of utilized the concept of attachment. And so I think there's this weird dissonance in in the show in terms of what we're supposed to understand about it that is making the meaning and the theme kind of hard to find.
2: I think a better way to do the scene where Sabine doesn't destroy the map would have been for her to want to destroy the map to genuinely want to do what ezra wanted to do and then have her be like but i have this feeling that i shouldn't that i should give it to him because that's what i'm feeling like that's the feel what feels right even though i genuinely want to destroy it because that's what ahsoka told me to do that's what the right thing to do is but have her trust the force that she's just barely learning about if they're gonna go that way i think it would have worked better if she genuinely didn't want to give them the map and decided to do and do that because the force told her to not because of her attachment to Ezra, that would have been a much better way to show that she is growing as her own person and becoming a Jedi rather than have her be like, mm, yeah, but attachments are actually fine.
1: We could hit on Jedi Sabine and our feelings on that in a second. Um, I think my personal, if we had to keep basically everything else the same, I think I would have had Ahsoka be the one who's struggling with attachment. Um, and so, in the, it, you just swap the roles, like literally just swap the roles. And it's Ahsoka who is struggling, Ahsoka who is feeling like Ezra is all she's got left because Anakin's dead, Obi-Wan's dead, Yoda is she's dead,
0: Luke for Kanan some is
1: dead. <laughs> well, and even you could have her have Luke is there, but like she doesn't know him very well. You know, It's this is someone she's only barely met, you know, and that she doesn't really know how to connect to yet. So she doesn't feel like she has. Some of the, and you know, you could have hit on Rex here if you really wanted to and said he was dead too, you know, that she doesn't have anything left, but Ezra might be out there, right? And so you could have had Ahsoka be the one struggling with attachment, so just swap the damn roles, you know, and have Sabine be the one going, like, we might have to, you know, let Ezra go, you know, in favor of not bringing Thrawn in because this isn't what Ezra would have wanted anyway. And it's Ahsoka who's going like, "Mm, fuck that though, like, I'm alone, I hate everything. This is all I've got. Sabine is a big one. Uh, Should Sabine have been a Jedi?
2: No! Jason should have been the Jedi. Sabine should have been the, like, curmudgeonly partner that, like, Ahsoka is bringing along who's, like, going through her own shit, and Jason's, like, the adorable little Padawan who's, like, bringing them both light to their really sad lives because they've both been through a a horrible war. Like, it's obvious. It's right there on the page. I could write it myself in, like, five minutes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I will also say that, like, this is where you get the Force-sensitive stuff, right? I kind of have that done in world-building, but, um, yeah, you get the, like, why is Sabine (laughs) Force-sensitive? Like, why is she Force-sensitive? She's not Force-sensitive in Rebels at all. It's never hinted. It's never implied. She's
2: 30 years old. She's 30 years old and a full warrior. Like, she doesn't need to be a Jedi. She's fine.
1: Yeah, and again, I think this is we're gonna hit on this a lot, but this is, again, where we're getting to the point of this is two or three shows in a trench coat. Like, my assumption at this point is because we do know that there was a separate Rebels animated sequel show in production at some point Uh um, that at some point got combined with the Ahsoka show. Um, I don't know if that happened before or after Ahsoka got sort of slotted into the Mandoverse, but um, at one, you know, at one point they were separate things. And so my assumption is that whatever they were doing with Ahsoka probably involved a Padawan of some kind who probably had a lot of, uh, you know, Anakin and Ahsoka's more negative traits in order to freak Ahsoka out to do her whole like, oh no, are you going to be Anakin again thing? Um, and that when they combined this show with Rebels, that they ended up making the choice to try and compress that Padawan character and just make it Sabine, regardless of what it meant for Sabine.
2: Even though it actually would have been very fun to make Jason like a slightly evil tendency child, because oh yeah, we haven't even touched on this at all. For anybody who's not aware, Jason is the name of Leia's oldest son in Legends, who turns evil, murders his aunt, and is then killed by his twin sister. Tragically. It's very sad. Wow. Big character. Big character. Lots of books about him. He's a very sweet, adorable, animal-loving child. A lot of people, actually, that I've seen have said that Ezra is a little bit of a ripoff of Jason. Honestly, minus the evil ending. And they're not totally wrong from what I've seen because that's like basically Jason's character. He's a very sweet little Jedi boy. Who's very good with animals. And then he like grows up and his little brother dies and he's very tragic and sad and like murders a lot of people. So like them naming Hera and Kanan's and son, Jason was a wild decision. Absolutely insane. They could have named him anything. And they're like, yeah, what if we named him after the now not canon son of Leia and Han? Like that seems like a good choice so weird honestly so like having that layer of like this padawan could turn out to be evil and also he happens to be the same name as like a very famous evil jedi in legends who filoni is pulling a lot from would have been very interesting and they decided not to do that for some reason
1: didn't really do anything with jason quite honestly they didn't he was very underutilized
0: he had one cool scene he did he was very cute but was i biased because chopper was there yes I love
1: Chopper. I, I was going to say, like, Chopper honestly does more work than Jason does. Chopper's so in fun. sequence.
2: Like, every time Chopper showed up, he was ready to fight.
1: Yes. Jason basically just sits there going, like, hey, someone might be alive in the water, but it's Chopper who actually finds her.
0: Yes, <laughs> like... but Jason is like, oh, I hear... It's someone else who pulls her out, but he's like, oh, I hear lightsabers, and I'm like, oh, I buy you as a Force-sensitive person or as a future Jedi way more than I buy Sabine as that. I will say that the scene of Sabine on the ship trying to force the cup to her hand, very nostalgic. That was basically my entire childhood. Yeah, I imagine they <laughs> intended it to be so. It's just like, but what if, I could, what if I could use the force? And it's like, no, you can't. And then suddenly she can? I was very confused.
2: Yeah, if somebody pins you by your throat to the uh, wall, you just magically can use the force now.
0: Yeah, the stakes are high. Now I have this power. Like, what if we had cool characters that weren't Jedi? That's allowed!
1: Yeah, well, um, it's called Andor. Yeah, there's a lot of world-building breaking in this show, particularly within the Force-sensitivity aspect of it. Um, Not only is Sabine just not implied to be Force-sensitive at all before, but the whole concept in this show is that, like, literally everyone is force sensitive. There is no non-force sensitive versus force sensitive people. Everyone is force sensitive. You just have to work a little bit harder at it in order to acquire that.
2: Absolutely. Such a wild thing. Like why would Ahsoka not have to like train more people to be force sensitive if
1: it's such a useful skill Or Obi-Wan or Yoda or literally anybody in the fucking rebellion or Luke, you know, why is Luke just sitting there struggling through this on his own instead of trying to get someone else to do it? Like, I get where this whole thing came from. It's kind of the same thing as the like, European knights versus Buddhist monks bullshit, you know, within the original trilogy that the original trilogy just leaves enough ambiguous that you can kind of come up with whatever you want. But like,
2: the original was you was know, 50 years ago. We've had a lot of world building since then. This breaks a lot of that world building. It doesn't make sense with the rest of the world building that it's doing. You can't yeah. just rule of cool your way through everything. You have to have some world
1: building to back it up or it does not work.
0: Especially for a show that is pulling from like a million things.
1: That's a good point. But it also is literally the only way to make Sabine force sensitive, right? Like you either break the world building in this way or you just retcon Sabine into a force sensitive person. You know, or you pretend that Sabine is going to be a non-force-sensitive Jedi. Like, there was no good way to do this. All of it was bad. Jedi Sabine makes no sense. It never should have happened. Again, this is not a saying that there should be no Asian Jedi, nor are we hating on Sabine as an Asian Jedi just because she's Asian. It just doesn't fucking fit with the world building. It shouldn't have been Sabine like Ahsoka should have had an original Padawan character played by an Asian actress could have been Natasha who the fuck cares it just shouldn't have been Sabine
2: I mean I think there is an argument to me that they could have retconned her and they could have done a decent job because like Leia is very powerful and very force sensitive and neither Palpatine nor Vader ever pick up on that and neither does Reva, even though she, like, wildly interrogates her. Like, she gets, like, an inkling, but, like, not really. Like, she doesn't ever say anything about it. So, like, the fact that S- Sabine could have been Force-sensitive this whole time and just never realized it about herself. Like, Rey also is Force-sensitive and doesn't, quite powerful and doesn't realize until she's very old. So, like, her being, like, a middling Force-sensitive person who doesn't realize it until she's actually trying would have been, like, fine. If Ahsoka just been like, well, you are Force-sensitive. Like, you didn't know that, but, like. Now that you're asking and I'm looking into it specifically for you, I can tell you that, yes, you are. And that is something that you could train and a skill that you could use if you wanted to. The thing with this,
1: though, then goes back to, like, but why does she need to be?
2: Yes, exactly. She's a 30-year-old woman. She doesn't actually need to be.
1: And just, like, you know, she was a perfectly interesting character without this. Yeah. At no point did you need to make her a Jedi to make her interesting. And I don't think that's why they did it. I don't think they were like, eh, Sabine just isn't cool enough you know, let's let's throw in some Force powers. I do think that it was the meshing of the two shows that kind of caused this, but, like, retconning Sabine into a, being a Force-sensitive person is just like, but why? Like, what are we getting out of this, you know? Like, this is so stupid. Like, give a, give me an Asian Jedi. Yes, just don't make it Sabine. There's nothing about Sabine that works with this, you know? Um, and I, I think it just, like, it doesn't make Kanan look good very much. Like, he's actively training somebody else and somehow just misses that Sabine isn't for sensitive. Like, at the very least, Leia is intentionally hiding from Vader and Anakin, uh, from Anakin and Palpatine. Palpatine, um, you know, like, at, at most, you know, we do have that. But, like...
2: I mean, you could have had there be a thing where, okay, this would be, it wouldn't work great, but it would be better than what they did. You could... They could have done a thing where when her family died, that's what awoke it in her, right? Like, because they had the whole, like, theme and sequels of, like, um Pat Ray is like, oh, something's awoken in me. Like, that whole thing. So, like, they could have, like, played with that thing that they've already established that, like, sometimes it just awakens later in life and, like... Her family dying was really traumatic for her. And, like, in the situation that it happened, like, she awoke some powers or something. Like, that could have worked, but they don't do any of that. They, they don't In they, that because it woke, she now has to deal with it. Like, she decides to train with it. It's like a way of dealing with the fact that she's no longer, there's no longer a million Mandalorian culture for her to be part of. Like, there's lots of ways they could have done it that I think would have been fine it wouldn't have been great it never would have been great to make her a jedi but if you wanted to make her a jedi there are ways that they could have done it rather than just being like yeah anybody can be force sensitive like it just it just wasn't done well there are ways that it could have been done decently and they didn't do any of them
1: yeah i think it always would have been controversial no matter what you you did with it i think it always would have felt like it broke something um you know you can excuse it probably in a number of different ways but you know like in this sense that like they're going like oh well it's just that the old jedi just didn't care for it, right? The, the Old Jedi just didn't accept people who were less Force-sensitive, you know, who weren't naturally talented in it, um, is kind of how they're choosing to fit it in. So I think they could have probably done that for all of it. It doesn't make it better. You know, it doesn't actually make any of it not a retcon or a breaking of the world building. Um But segueing from what you were saying into Ahsoka's uh, not Ahsoka's, Sabine's fucking family dying off-screen as a motivation for anything. Like, what the Fuck was that Oh my God. hated that a lot. It's really stupid.
0: They also took like a really long time to say that. I think that was in like the second to last episode or something where they finally were like, this is what happened to be
1: fair no, to be fair, it is in the fourth is it uh, because Balin uses it to motivate her into doing stupid shit. he said he says something like you know, your whole family's dead.
0: Oh and Ahsoka, right.
1: you know, and you couldn't like ahsoka doesn't help you, and that's why it because she doesn't trust you or something um and then they give you a little bit more detail about it in the last episode with Hu Yang kind of info dumping at us,
0: which like could Hu Yang have done that in the very beginning I would have been so much better off, and then he would have gotten to talk more. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But yeah, like they, I think that's the thing, too, with poor Sabine, and I think this is true for Ahsoka and, uh, and Hera to some degree as well, but primarily Ahsoka and Sabine, is that their motivations and relationships for things are all missing, or they're off-screen. And so you're left sitting there going, like, why does Sabine even want to be a Jedi? Like, even if we pretend that the stupid world-building shit is true, why does she want to be a Jedi? <laughs> like, where is any of that? And, like, why does Ahsoka want a Padawan? Like, they literally do even address that real quickly on the show, with Anakin asking her in the flashback sequence, like, you know, do you even want a Padawan? And Ahsoka's response is, huh? Yeah. And then they move on.
2: God, that (laughs) episode, I think, was the best one of the whole... Just to end on a positive note, since we're wrapping up here, but the, the episode with Hayden and Ahsoka's force vision was so beautiful. Just the lighting, the shots of, like, Anakin flashing between Anakin and Vader, they love their parallels, like... The acting was really, really good. The baby actress for Ahsoka was pretty good. Like, she did a really good job. The costumes were gorgeous. We got like that really cute, beautiful scene of Ahsoka holding the dying clone's hand. It was just a really well done episode. And I love that one so much. The whole ep- show was worth it just for that episode because it was so beautiful.
1: I do think it was, it had a lot of flaws personally in terms of what it was saying. And how deep it actually was choosing to go into Ahsoka's character. Um, like, it's very visually pretty, but I think that's kind of all it is. Um, I think the only one I actually had any positive feelings towards was actually the one right after that, because it's you've got more focus on Sabine just kind of wandering around the galaxy, which is like what a Rebel sequel should have been in so many ways. It's just, you know, Sabine sitting there getting annoyed at her stupid bat wolf dog thing. <laughs> that was like, a great scene. The
0: wolf dog, uh, the wolf
1: dog was like, so cute. you know... And Sabine, like, connecting to the Nodi, and, you know, like, making that connection th- to Ezra through being kind to this creature that she's just met, right? Like, that was, like, the very first time that I felt like this Sabine could could actually genuinely be Sabine from Rebels. And I think that that sequence of Sabine just wandering around on Peridia with the stupid bat horse dog thing and meeting the Nodi, I think, was probably about the best this show actually got in terms of performance and storyline and getting, you know, having the right vibe that this show should have had. Um, Everything else I think falls totally flat. Like, yes, the world between worlds vision thing is very visually pretty, but I I don't think there's anything meaningful in it. Like they, what does choose to live mean? (laughs) Yes, I get that she's fucking drowning, but like they clearly want me to believe that there is some sort of meta- double meaning to this and i i never got it it never gets explained i still don't get it i don't think there is anything i think they want me to think there is but there isn't like ahsoka's problem is not that she isn't living you know like uh i just i just don't get it and that's why i was saying that i think hayden is doing the most here his performance is fine his material sucks
2: i feel like that episode works really well in a vacuum but when you're mm-hmm. surrounding it by the other episodes it doesn't work as well because it feels like it should be it should be led up to with Ahsoka feeling very lost and like she has been consumed with war and revenge and hunting Ezra for so long that she hasn't actually done anything she wants to do. And something that she has actually really wanted to do as a Padawan, she feels like she can't because everything she has learned has been from someone who was so turned so evil and like helped destroy the galaxy for a long time. And so, that would have been a really good lead up to that episode. And then having it be followed by her being much more calm and at peace and accepting of Sabine would have worked really well. But because they didn't do any of that, this uh, if you take that episode in context of the other episodes, it doesn't work as well as they think they wanted it to.
1: I think the other thing too, and someone kind of brought this up to me and uh, I figured out that this was a problem I had was it's hard to tell whether her issue is Anakin And the betrayal of Anakin and how that's making her feel and the specific impact of Anakin's betrayal, or if it's just, I happen to be a child soldier and I didn't get real Jedi training, so how can I pass anything on to my Padawan? And those are two very completely separate issues. Um, Like, they don't overlap very much at all. Like, having fought in a war is not the same as my master murdered everybody I care about. You know, like, those are completely separate issues to actually deal with. And it was hard to tell which one they were actually focusing on. By having Anakin there, it felt like we were supposed to be dealing with Anakin. And they do bring up Anakin more than once. It ends on Anakin. But the content, uh, the content of the episode really was honing in on the child soldier thing. You don't even see Order 66. Like, I get that we saw Order 66 in Clone Wars, but there's no live-action flashbacks to it. We just see Siege of Mandalore, which Anakin's not even at. And he just goes like, oh, you're a soldier now. Like, you could have done that with Order 66 flashbacks, too. And so it was hard to tell what they were actually trying to tell me about Ahsoka and what she was learning in that episode. Again, it's very visually pretty, but there's nothing in it that's coherent. But the edits I think are really
0: that that, that, Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I think she's just
1: saying Hayden was hot. So. Okay, yes. Yeah, that is what Hayden I was, was saying.
0: So <laughs> I, and, and I'm so glad that we stopped so that you could say that. Say it again because it's important. <laughs>
2: Hayden, super hot.
0: So hot. <laughs> I think that Sugar, you basically just summed up my feelings like very conveniently as we are wrapping up. You're so summed welcome. up my feelings on this show is that like, out of context, some of it was entertaining. Like- the episode with Hayden was definitely the most entertaining for me. Like visually it kept me engaged. Um, the episode, like when she is finally on, is it called Paridia? I think. Yes. Yeah. And she's like dealing with like the natives. That was very well done in my opinion. Like just because I care about these little aliens and that's like interesting to me. But I also can say with confidence that now that I finished this show, I'm never going to think about it again. Like, I'm not going to rewatch this. I don't know what happened. And I watched the entire season. I don't know why I should care about these characters. I liked them fine by the end. But it just, like, it didn't feel like it had a message and it didn't feel meaningful in the very end. Like, when you look at it all together, I'm like, okay... That was fine, I guess, but I know that Star Wars can do better. I watched Andor. I know that they can do better. God, Andor and so was so A good. little disappointing. I'm so excited for us to have an episode where we just gush about Andor.
1: <laughs> yeah, two months. <laughs> All right. Uh, I feel like that was your final thoughts on the show. It's super Faye, much. did you want to give a final thought on the show?
2: Um, I think my final thoughts on the show is that it was very ambitious and they were trying to do a lot of things. And I think that they succeeded in some of them, but I think they failed in a lot of ways in others. Ultimately I do forgive all of their sins because Hayden was beautiful in his Clone Wars armor and I love the Clone Wars armor a lot. It's one of my favorite armor designs. It's one of my favorite costume designs uh, for any of the male characters, honestly. But Ultimately Natalie is right. I'm not going to rewatch this. Like I'm not going to put it in my top Why? five. Like
1: You're totally gonna go rewatch that episode with Haley. Listen and you know it. that
2: is a separate <laughs> thing. That is completely different. <laughs> episode five is the only important episode. Watch that.
0: Or you could just watch like gifs of it on Tumblr and not waste your time. Okay. Listen, you can't see you can't hear Hayden's voice in GIFs. That's true. Okay. Clips. I need someone to make me a, a TikTok edit of Hate and by I need someone I mean they have already done this. I know, I sent And we should just yes. Well, I'm <laughs> not good at keeping up with your TikToks. <laughs> I go through like every two weeks and i watch all of them at once so i can't wait to watch these edits of hayden and then not have to think about the show it's like oh no he just came back for this one scene and that's all
1: um okay i did make another um metaphor for this one hell yeah so i said that Filoni and his work has become like king midas everything he touches turns to gold and that seems like it should be a blessing But in the story, it turns out that the gold is actually ultimately pretty, but entirely worthless and unsatisfying. At the end of the myth, he hugs his daughter only for her to turn into a gold statue, which uh, sends him to uh, ask the gods for repentance. Uh, And only when he does, does the statue turn back into his daughter. Ahsoka has become the gold statue. But Filoni has not realized that this is ultimately a bad thing and seems to think that his daughter is better off a gold statue. And until he realizes the truth, he should be fired from Star Wars because he has nothing left to say or add to it of any value. And all of these characters really deserve a lot better than the stories he's choosing to give them. And everyone should just go watch the Obi-Wan Kenobi show instead because it's ten times the show that this one is.
2: Yeah, you can't eat gold.
1: Precisely. It does not feed you, your soul, or your body.
0: Damn. Once again... Unleash the Goats is here with your hot takes on all things <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> if you can count on us for one thing, it's that.
2: <laughs> and also, a goat fact. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. Goats are born with teeth. They have 32.
0: They're born?
2: With teeth. With 32 teeth. They're born with a full set of eight incisors by the time they're a month old. And they grow into 32 by the time they're adults.
1: That's too many This teeth. does make me feel a little bad for the goat moms.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Oh <laughs> no. Sorry. What a good place to end. Yeah. <laughs> the music cuts in as you say that. <laughs> Our intro and outro music is Moss Isley Cantina by Speed Kicks. Angela and I edit, our artwork is by me, and Sugar is our writer and researcher. You can find us on Instagram and Tumblr at Unleash the Goats. Thanks for listening.